There's an old saying I learned in Latin class. Vestis virum reddit. Which means the clothes make the man. It is an old saying and a true one for a reason. People judge you by what you wear. If you wear shabby, dirty, ill-fitting clothes, people will treat you differently than if you're wearing a nice, clean suit. So what is true for clothes in the real world is also true for your email address in the online world. Imagine you get an email from two different authors. One author's email address is susan at authorsusansmith.com and the other's is hotgrandma54 at aol.com. Which author would you take more seriously? Which would you be more likely to have on your podcast, blog, or in your bookstore? And that hot grandma example with a different number came from a literary agent I was chatting with. I don't even think he read her proposal because he was so turned off by her unprofessional email address. If her, even her email address was unprofessional, most likely everything else would be unprofessional as well. Or at least this is the assumption. Vestis virum reddit. If you are struggling to get people to take you seriously as an author, your email address may be to blame. So how do you have a professional email address and what are the mistakes to avoid when setting up your own author email? Well, that is what you're going to learn in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. Now, this episode is for both indie and traditional authors, but it is especially important for traditional authors, especially the ones who are still looking for their first contract. When emailing your query letter to an agent or editor, the first thing they see is your email address. This is your first impression, and agents do judge you by your email address. So before we talk about how to set up your email address, Let's talk about which mistakes to avoid. The first mistake is an unprofessional name. This is a really easy mistake to make without realizing it. When you first set up your email address and you first set up your app that handles your email address on your phone, it'll ask you for your name. And some people are in a real rush when they do this. And so they type in their name with mistakes and they have no idea that those mistakes are showing up to every stranger they email. If somebody has you in their address book, they'll see the name they set for you. But if they're a stranger, they see the name you set for you. So here are some of the common mistakes. Improper capitalization. So most common is all caps or all lowercase. That's not what you want. Another common mistake is a missing name where the first name or the last name is missing. And maybe your friends never notice because they get an email from Frank and they know who you are. But a stranger doesn't know which Frank you are. Another common mistake is a username where your username like Longhorns fan is your name. It's in the name field, and that's really confusing. So how do you check for these mistakes? Because these can be hard to see since you don't send email to yourself, and it may appear correct when you send it to yourself. So I encourage you to find an author friend uh, who you've never sent an email to, and you, you can pair up on authormedia.social, and you send each other an email, and you take a screenshot, and you send it back in reply so they can see and make sure the name looks good, that the name looks professional. You can also check your settings in your email app. Just realize you need to check the settings both on the app and your phone. And if you send through a website, you need to check there too. Whatever you're using to send the email is what sets the name. Mistake number two 
is an unprofessional email address. Ideally, you want your email address to be at least something like johnsmith at gmail.com or authorjohnsmith at gmail.com. Avoid cute or clever email addresses like loves to write at yahoo.com. You also want to avoid numbers because those can be confusing. Is that loves to write or loves to write? If you don't know how to spell the number two or is it the word two or the other word two, it gets confusing really fast. You also want the email address to be clear who you are. <laughs> if they only have your email address, they need to know who they're emailing. Author John Smith, I know who that is. Loves to write. I don't. All right. Mistake number three is an unprofessional domain name. Some domain names are more fashionable than others and give you better credibility than others. The best is to have your own domain name. And I'll tell you how to do that later on in the episode. But what you really want to avoid is domains attached to your internet service provider. So obviously, AOL.com is the most famous unprofessional email address. There's a lot of people who won't take you seriously if your email address ends in at AOL.com. But you also want to avoid, you know, at Comcast.com or at Spectrum.com. And part of the reason why you want to avoid these domains is that it locks you in. So if Comcast starts providing you terrible service, but you're getting all your important email to your Comcast address, then it's hard to switch to a different internet service provider. Or maybe you move to a region that doesn't have Comcast and you're forced to cancel your Comcast address. I know authors who lost email addresses that they had for over a decade because of a move far away. This is bad and it's unnecessary. And there's a high cost to these free quote unquote email addresses. They give you the free email address to lock you in to their service. So what you really want to use is your own domain, which will mean paying a small amount of money. But the cost is well worth the investment when it comes to brand building. There's a reason why my email address is thomas at authormedia.com. I really like that email address. People can find me there and they can check me out, right? They're like, which Thomas is this? Well, they go to authormedia.com, they find my name. It helps drive traffic to my website. Now, there are a bunch of different ways to get email at your domain. So let me walk you through the top four and walk you through the pros and cons, because it may be that you don't need to pay any more money than you already are for domain email. You may already be paying for it. <laughs> so we'll get to that here in a second. But let's start with the one that I use. I use Google Workspace, which used to be called G Suite, and before that was called Google Apps for your domains. This is what I use for Thomas at authormedia.com. It's $6 a month per email account, and you can have multiple addresses. So I have you know, support at authormedia.com comes to me, and billing at authormedia.com comes to me. Sometimes those addresses have pointed to staff that I've had working with me. So you can have unlimited aliases, which I really like. And some of the pros of Google Workspace, it's the best email technology. So Gmail is far superior to Outlook. Outlook is really weak in search, for instance. And so a lot of Outlook users feel they have to put their emails in folders so that they can find them again. And that costs them sometimes hundreds of hours a year. Whole days are lost using Outlook. But Gmail's run by Google and the search is really, really good. So you don't have to put emails in folders to find them. You just search to find them. It's also the easiest to set up. So most domain hosts have just a button to configure Google Workspace because it's the oldest and kind of longest running 
tool that does this. It integrates well with your phone. And one of the things that's nice about Google is that it's platform agnostic. Google doesn't really sell computers. I mean, they kind of do, but not really. So it works well on Mac. It works well on PC. It works well on iPhone and Android. They're not pushing you to one platform or another. Another nice thing about Google Workspace is that it comes with the Google Work Suite with a bunch of space. So you get Google Drive, Google Docs, Google Calendar, Sheets, Forms, etc. And when you pay, one of the nice things are you're a customer. And if you have technical support, there's someone to call who can help you out, which is really important with your email. It's important to have phone support with your email because important emails come in. And if your email is broken, you can't send an email to support to fix it because your email is broken. <laughs> so what are the cons? Well, the biggest con is that the only thing scarier than a company whose slogan is don't be evil is a company whose slogan used to be don't be evil and then they got rid of it. So Google has your data and they use your data for all sorts of things. So Google makes most of their money not by selling you $6 a month email services, but by selling advertising. That's why they're a billion dollar company. So they want as much data as possible so they can make the most money off of advertising as possible. So of the solutions we're gonna talk about, they probably have the worst privacy protections because they don't value privacy, they value data. And there's a real big difference there. So bottom line, even with the privacy concerns, it's still my favorite option. Personally, I just really, really like their technology. It's much better than all of the other options I'll be talking about. You can have an app on your computer that connects with your Gmail account in the cloud. And it's just it, the tech is really good and it's really easy to set up. It's also, I would say, probably the obvious choice for an Android phone user because it integrates really quickly and easily with your Android phone. I've heard. I'm an iPhone user. It connects fine with my iPhone. But I just have a suspicion that Google Android and Google Workspace work well together. And I'll have, for the specific steps, if you do want to go with Google Workspace, I'll have a link to configuring that in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 318. The next option is Office 365 Personal. Office 365 Personal costs about $7 a month, so it's a tiny bit more expensive than Google. In fact, it's the most expensive option here, but you may already be paying for it. A lot of people pay for Office 365 because that's how they get Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, etc. So it comes with arguably the most valuable office suite. Now, personally, I don't use Microsoft Word. I don't even own it. It's one of the nice things when I quit my job as a literary agent, I was able to get rid of Microsoft Word. So I personally exclusively use Google's tools. I use Google Docs and Google Sheets, and I use Keynote for presentations. Keynote on the Mac is the very best presentation software. It's much better than PowerPoint and better than Google Present. But Microsoft Word is a core app for a lot of authors, because even if you're not writing your book in Microsoft Word, your editor may force you to use Microsoft Word for going back and forth with the track changes. And they have phone support too. So if you pay for Office 365, part of what you're paying for, someone to call if you need help. And it's not just support for your email, but also support for Microsoft Word. And I will say, while Outlook is still pretty rough, there's a new Outlook.com that runs in the cloud that I've heard good things about. Microsoft is trying to catch up to Google in terms of email technology. Some of the cons, Microsoft 365 has really complicated pricing. In fact, while I was doing research for this episode, 
I spent more time trying to figure out which version of Microsoft Office 365 to recommend than I spent researching everything else combined. <laughs> I don't know why, but Microsoft Office has like this whole suite of personal and professional and enterprise and business, and some of them overlap and there's no good charts on their website. But what you want is Microsoft 365 Personal, or if you have a family, you know, like let's say your kids need it for school, you get Microsoft 365 Family. It's a little more expensive, but it goes up to five computers. They have some business ones that you can pay for, but it suddenly gets into the 10 or $15 a month range. It gets really expensive. And I don't think it's worth paying for for just the email piece. So complicated pricing, lots of upselling. And the other con is that the Mac versions of the apps inside of Microsoft 365 are not as good. Excel for Mac is nothing compared to Excel for PC. And sometimes they're missing altogether. So Publisher is, doesn't even run on Mac. So bottom line, I'd say this is probably the best option for Windows users. I'm not a big fan of it, but if you're already paying for it, then it's definitely the cheapest option. And I, again, I'll have a link to their instructions on how to set up Office 365 to run email through your domain. The same domain that you use for your website. All right, so now let's talk about the third option, which is Apple iCloud Plus. As an iPhone user with cute kids, I already pay for iPhone iCloud Plus just for the photo storage feature. My wife takes like a terabyte of photos of my kids every year, I feel. <laughs> so we were already paying for it. So if I wasn't using Google, I could be using iCloud Plus. And here's the crazy thing. To get professional email through iCloud Plus at your domain, it costs $1 a month. <laughs> this is the cheapest option by far. It's dramatically cheaper than every other option we're going to talk about, which is kind of shocking, really, because Apple is known for having high prices, but when it comes to iCloud Plus, it's actually very competitively priced. Some of the other pros is that it's high privacy. Apple does not make money selling ads, and so they value privacy rather than valuing data. Right? Apple's not trying to collect lots of data on their users, but they are still a big tech company. I'll, the next example I'll share is a not big tech company. They're beautifully integrated into your Mac and iPhone. So if you're an Apple person, all your products are Apple products. iCloud is going to just fit right into all of your devices and really work really nice. And it comes with a lot of other features that you may be paying for, like those gigabytes and gigabytes of photo storage for your phone. And it not only has phone support, but also store support. So if you're stuck, you can schedule an appointment at the Apple store, take in your phone or your computer. And if it's an Apple device, I, I believe they will help you out with it. The cons are that it really works best if you own Apple products. So it's only cheaper if you already <laughs> have the Apple products. It's, it doesn't make sense to buy a $2,000 Mac laptop just to save you know $5 a month on iCloud Plus. Although I will say, as a Mac user, it is worth it. <laughs> Macs are actually cheaper than PCs in the long run because they tend to last three or four years longer than an equivalent PC. I will say, of the three options, Apple has the weakest Office suite. So the Apple Office tools aren't really included in this. They're only like $10 one time to purchase. They're not very expensive. Pages is in general weaker than Word. Numbers is weaker than both Google Sheets and Excel. I actually prefer Google Sheets to Excel for most use cases. But Apple computers do come with Keynote, which is dramatically better than PowerPoint. <laughs> so 
Keynote really is a shining beacon of excellence. But other than Keynote, the Office Suite with iCloud is not very good. So bottom line, this is the cheapest option if you're already inside the Apple ecosystem and you may already be paying for it. And yes, I will have a link on how to set this up in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 318. So the final option, I felt like I should give at least one option that wasn't with a big tech company. So I know some people, they don't like trusting their email to a big tech company. And so if you're wanting even higher privacy than Apple, what I recommend is ProtonMail. So ProtonMail is 6.25 euros a month. So you don't pay in dollars. You're like, why isn't it priced in dollars? Well, ProtonMail is based in Switzerland exclusively. And because of that, they don't have to follow the laws of all the other nations. So if Russia demands that Google give them data or Apple give them data, they might give that up. Russia is perhaps a bad example because that's the one country they might say no to. But any other country they would say yes to. Whereas ProtonMail can say no to governments and corporations and everyone because they're based in Switzerland, which is famously neutral. They have end-to-end encryption, and they're the least likely to cancel you for political reasons. It's the Swiss bank of email, and they're not connected with any of the big tech companies. So those are the pros. The cons are there's no office suite at all. They have a calendar that's nice and a drive to store files, but other than that, there's no real office suite. And another con is that since you're paying in euros, depending on your credit card, you might have to pay an extra foreign transaction fee. Some credit cards have that, some don't. Also realize that the exchange rate shifts. So six and a quarter euros right now, as of my recording, is around $6.92 US, but that changes every day. So just keep that in mind. It's another con, another annoyance. And they have only web-based support. So there's a website if you have support questions you can go to and get answers and fill out a form and they'll get back to you. But they don't have a phone number to call, which is probably actually for the best. Come to think of it, if they're based in Switzerland, if you don't speak German, (laughs) maybe you don't want to talk to them on the phone. So bottom line, the only authors I would recommend this for is if privacy is your highest value, this service offers the highest privacy. And if I were to rank them, ProtonMail is the highest privacy, followed by Apple, followed by Microsoft, and then a big empty space, and then Google way down at the bottom. (laughs) I don't trust Google with privacy. The only company I trust less with my privacy than Google is Facebook. They don't value privacy at all. Now, you may be wondering why I haven't mentioned the really cheap email options that often come with your web host. Most web hosts offer for a dollar or two a month will give you email at your domain. I don't recommend that because the technology is just really weak. And what I find is that authors who do that, they hate using that inbox so much that they only use it for work stuff and they use their private Yahoo or Gmail address instead. And so they don't really use it. (laughs) This email, this professional email address only benefits you if you're willing to really use it and to really use it as your active account. You have to like using it. The technology has got to be good. And your time is valuable. You spend a lot of time in email. And so having good email technology is worth a few dollars a month. Now, if you're currently using Gmail or Yahoo for your personal email, that's okay. You can keep that address and it's great for interacting with your friends and family. In fact, a lot of authors like some separation between their work email and their private email. I don't recommend having a dozen different email addresses. That gets really confusing for everyone. But two, one personal, one professional 
can work well. That's what I have. I have primarily two email addresses to keep your sanity, keep your inboxes to a minimum. And the minimum that I would recommend is two accounts. If you're wanting help setting up your website, because setting up your email with your domain, setting up your website, a lot of authors do those at the same time. I have a free course called How to Build an Amazing Author Website. And it walks you through how to build a website yourself. I actually build a website and I go through all the steps. You basically just get to look over my shoulder. It's a lot easier than you would think. And then the second part of the course is how to make your website faster, how to make your website more useful to your readers, how to get more traffic to your website and a lot of like fundamental tips. So even if you already have a website and you like the way it looks, there's a lot of really solid advice to help make your website more effective. And you can find out more about that course at authormedia.com slash courses. Our featured patron today is Shauna Lettler, author of Remembering Holy Week. Five of the lesser known people of Holy Week have been called many things, wasteful, overbearing, even criminal, but they each honored Christ during his last week on earth. Their stories come to life in this free five-day devotional that will inspire you to honor Christ even if you feel your gifts are small. And thank you to all of our patrons. I really appreciate your support keeping this show on the air. I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> Honestly, I this is my day job. You support my making of these episodes. So if you've been on the fence thinking about becoming a patron, it would really encourage me if you would choose this time to sign up. And you can do that at authormedia.com slash patron. It'll take you right to our page on Patreon. Patrons get a bunch of cool perks, including a bonus episode every month where I answer your questions. And that's a really fun episode where I answer a lot of questions from you, our listeners. If you can't afford to become a patron but still want to support the show, you can just share this episode with one writer you think would find it helpful or the blog post version of this episode. Quick update. In May 2022, I'm speaking at PenCon 2022, which is a conference for editors. So if you're thinking about becoming a professional editor or you are a professional editor and you're wanting to get more clients or level up your editing practice, become a better editor, PenCon 2022, maybe a conference you want to check out. I'm also the keynote speaker at the Mount Zion Ridge Press online writers conference. And I'll have links to both of those writers conferences in the show notes. They're both online writers conferences. I love speaking at online conferences because it allows me to, when I'm done speaking, be with my three tiny children who I love very much. (laughs) So we have a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a newborn, and there's no way I'm leaving my wife to take care of those three. We're outnumbered as it is with the two of us. (laughs) So, but I do enjoy speaking at online conferences and I'm thankful that these are bringing me in to speak. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio is edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. The producer is Lori Christine, and I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., your host. To find the blog post version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 318. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.